0: Welcome in to a Thursday edition of the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Stat Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rafter, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. And you may have wondered where we went on Tuesday. Normally, we give you a Tuesday episode. We kind of had to put Tuesday's episode on hold a bit. Um, for good reason, though. Um, for really a historic reason, for that matter. Um, we in, in Vegas, we had the... Aces celebration parade going on Tuesday, uh, which consumed much of the day on Tuesday. So, um, unable to record our normal uh, Tuesday episode for you guys, and then with scheduling conflicts, we could we weren't able to get it in on Monday to get you guys a Tuesday episode. So, just scrap Tuesday. We're back here on a Thursday. Just a reminder: make sure you're following the Back and Forth Podcast on Twitter at Pod. Instagrams at Backforth Podcast, and of course, make sure you follow. The Talk That Talk Media Company. Their Twitter is at TTT Media Company. The rest of their socials are spelled out at Talk That Talk Media Company. We had an historic day on Tuesday, Joey. Very historic day for the city.
1: First major league, keyword, because everyone's going to be like, well, the the Las Vegas Devils won a championship in 1990. The first major league sports professional, major league sports team uh, has won a championship here in Las Vegas. Other, no other being the Las Vegas Aces, and um, it's. I don't think a team has represented Vegas this well. Since the '90s, UNLV Rebels. I'm gonna go that far, right, and say that. I know people are really big on the nights and all that, but I think to me, Vegas has always been a basketball town, um, and and no team represented the city more better than the Las Vegas Aces. Just a fun team to watch. Easy team to root for. A great head coach and Becky Hammond, who um, I, I hope she stays with the Aces. But she, you know, she was getting consideration for NBA jobs. She was getting consideration for uh, Division One. Uh, she almost became the head coach at Colorado State, um, where she went to school. So, you know, she is just a, a phenomenal head coach. Any chance she's she coached uh, one game for the Spurs, won that. Coached the Spurs throughout the summer league, won the summer league title. In her first year as a head coach in the WNBA uh, leads the team to 34 wins total, including the playoffs and uh, the regular season and a championship, which I believe broke the, she broke the win total for a first year head coach. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure about winning a championship in the first year, but regardless, uh, just an amazing achievement Um, and, and, and really happy for Las Vegas. It was so cool kind of seeing us get that national attention and, the amount of people that turned out to the parade, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, give a, don't give the WNBA a lot of credit. Um, and a lot of people showed up to that parade. There was a good amount of support. And, and again, it just shows that Vegas is, um, can support multiple sports teams and Vegas now is a sports town. Um, and I went through the comments and people are like, wow, that's a lot more people than I expected or whatever. And they're like, oh, it's just tourists passing through trying to get to them. I'm like, what more do we have to prove to you guys?
0: I guarantee it was not. Tourists. It
1: was not. To, for, yeah, it wasn't because everyone was wearing red and black. Right. So I, mean, I guess if every, every single tourist, um, you know, that was flooding the Las Vegas Strip on a Tuesday in September um, decided to wear red and black for whatever reason, then I guess they're right. But what more does Vegas have to prove um, that locals more than tourists go to these games, even Raiders, more locals are at the games than tourists? When the Raiders announced the Aces won the championship, listen to the audio playback of what Allegiant Stadium sound like. Well, the when Raiders they,
0: probably thought they were talking about them, and then that's <laughs> ensued the collapse. They were like, well, "Oh, championship! <laughs> we do,
1: do we win?" Uh, <laughs> but, but jokes aside, yeah. you know, even even the Raiders at a stadium that was kind of built for tourism, majority of people going to the game are Las Vegas locals and yes. Vegas Golden Knights and the Las Vegas Aces. So, really cool to see. And, again, couldn't be more proud of that team. Um, It seemed like the last four or five years they had just gotten so close. Uh, They had made the finals twice. They had lost to the Washington Mystic one year. Um, I can't remember if it was the following year or a year later they lose to the Seattle Storm. Uh, So it seems like they just kept getting closer and closer and just could not get the job done. And this year um, they were able to get it done. So couldn't be more proud of them. That is the – First and many more championships for uh, the not only the city of Las Vegas, but also for the Aces. I think the Aces, as long as Becky Hammond's there, a lot more are coming, so um, wouldn't be surprised if they repeat it and go back-to-back next season, but incredible run by this team um, and, and really good for the city.
0: Yeah, so I'll start with the parade slash shitty support, and then I'll dive into the team a bit. So... For those that thought that, like, oh, because it's a Tuesday at 5.30, people aren't going to show up. No, they literally blocked the entire section of Las Vegas Boulevard off. They started with half, but because there were so many people and they were starting to flood into the northbound lanes of traffic, they ended up shutting down the complete section of Las Vegas Boulevard that runs from Bellagio to Caesars Palace. The whole entire section was shut down. Like, no traffic was getting through at all, which wasn't in the original plan, but, be, be, but because – so many people showed up more than probably a lot of people expected. I mean, at a certain point it's either have, you know, a section of the boulevard open and risk, you know, pedestrians getting hit or take the safer play. And I mean, to me that, that just showed the amount of support that was out there that they had to, that they went that far to shut down the can, you know, the boulevard completely through that section. Um, but I did see a lot of those comments that like, oh, wow, there, you know, there's a lot of more people there than I thought and all that. This is not a fluke. And I try to keep telling people this. And I, like Joey said, I don't know what more you need to see. Go back and look at the last five home games for the Aces this year. Three of them were sellouts. Two of them broke franchise records. And almost all five were completely sold out. I mean, the city's catching on. They're starting to take notice. And I guarantee you, sure, Maybe a thousand of the ten thousand at Michelob Ultra are tourists, but no, n- maybe a thousand.
1: Not even a th- I think most of the people at the Aces games, Aces and Knights games, ninety eight percent, ninety eight to ninety nine percent of people in that building are 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 locals. Yeah. Raiders games, I still think the majority are locals, but that's where maybe it's like eighty
0: twenty. Even at Raider games, the capacity is what sixty five thousand. Yeah. I would say fifty of those are local. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's majority local support. And I think it's only going to grow into next year. Like, I mean, I'll I'll use my family kind of as an example. Like we were never season ticket holders of anything. Like my aunt and uncle were sometimes season ticket holders, but like my mom, my dad, sister, all that, we were never season ticket holders of UNLV, the Raiders, Knights, nothing. Like we just, if we were going to go, we were going to buy a single game tickets. And that was that they now have bought six season tickets for next year's ACES team. I was, I mean, and that's just one family in Las Vegas. I'm sure there's hundreds more that are, you know, kind of in a similar spot where they're like, you know, we never really thought about season tickets, but because of how well this team has done, because of all the pieces that are there, you know, we we want to be part of it for next year. And so, I mean, that kind of segues into the team itself. This team is basically coming back next year. The entire starting five is locked down long-term. Uh, you have... I believe Sid Colson that, um, although it doesn't play a lot, is going to be a piece that comes back. You have, you know, people like De'Erica Hamby locked down long term. You have Becky Who didn't even play. No, she was battling injury towards the end of the year. Um, You have, you know, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, Asia Wilson. All those players are coming back next year. And the only thing that I could probably pinpoint that this team may want to look at in the offseason is adding a little bit more bench depth like their starting five is probably the best starting five in the league. You have, you've had four all-stars in that starting five at one point. You have an all-star head coach, which I mean, again, I hope Becky, yeah, I hope Becky stays in Vegas long-term, but if you're an NBA GM, you better be taking a very hard look at Becky Hammond for a head coaching position.
1: Celtics, which we'll get into later. If, if, like, it looks like we might need a new head coach
0: soon. If the report came out tomorrow <laughs> that the Celtics are hiring Becky Hammond, I would, I mean, I would obviously be devastated because, you know, selfishly I want her to stay with the Aces, but that's a great opportunity. And that's a fantastic hire. That's what I said in December when she took the Aces job. I said, the Aces knocked out a home run with this one. And people will go, well, she didn't, you didn't I haven't really seen her coach. I said, I've seen enough to where I know she came from a very good coaching tree in Greg Popovich you, you know, you can sense even in those summer league games and the few games that she got to coach um, in place of pop that she knows basketball. Like, she knows hoops, but she's also a very... The thing that stood out to me the most this season was she's a extreme players coach. She goes to war for them just like, you know, vice versa. Um, and, n- I mean, this is no knock on Bill Lambeer because I think Bill... The team needed Bill Lambeer in those first few years to build the foundation because they had just come off of come from San Antonio. Kelsey Plum was really the only centerpiece that came from San Antonio. Like everybody else on the roster for the most part was either acquired in free agency or drafted like Jackie Young, Asia Wilson. They were both for, um, number one overall picks back to back years. And I mean, essentially you you're building a, a, a completely new franchise In Vegas although it's considered a relocation they basically started this thing from scratch with really one person that was in the San Antonio days in Kelsey Plum and so I I, I think Bill Lambeer was integral in building the foundation and a lot of it was built when Becky Hammond got here but that the team was still missing that piece and I think Bill Lambeer even admitted it. Maybe it was sometime this season um, when they had, like, Bill Lambeer night and all that. They did a press conference, and, they sa- and Bill said, look, I loved coaching, but I understood that my coaching philosophy wasn't in, it wasn't in line with today's style of basketball. And I think that's what Becky Hammond's able to bring to this team is, you know, she doesn't coach her team out of games, and she's very adaptive to the, today's game where, yeah, she's going to push the ball down the floor she's going to look for open threes. It's not like a Bill Laimbeer style where it's always constantly pounding the paint. I mean, at one point in time, the team, I think, for the last three or four years ranked last in the league in three-point attempts under Bill Laimbeer. Flip the script to this year, the, I mean, I think the Aces were at very worst top three in the league in three-point attempts, so there's an emphasis being put there. You know, they, they raised their points per game average to over 90. Like, you can see where those improvements came in year one for Becky Hammond. And I get that they've won a championship and now it's like, well, you can't really accomplish much more. But just seeing the turnaround that this team and this franchise went through in just a short year where you, you look at last year, they got eliminated in the semifinals to Phoenix. Like, and the year before that, they lost to Seattle in the Wubble in the finals. The year before that, they lost to Washington in the semifinals, I believe. And so this was a franchise that, you, like Joey said, you could sense they were getting close, but they could never find their way over the hump. And they just needed that one piece. And so you look at it going forward, yeah, I do think that this could be the start of two, three, maybe four championships for Las Vegas in a pretty short window because of everybody that's here. And really, you know, Becky talked about it earlier in the year. These players bought in for each other. Asia could have went somewhere else and made a lot more money. She took a pay cut. Everybody that extended long-term took pay cuts because they wanted to be in Las Vegas. They wanted to be part of the franchise. They wanted to be part of something long-term.
1: And look at the Raiders. Um, and the Raiders are another prime example. The, you can, we can have this argument all day we want. Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones would never be wearing a Raiders jersey if this team was still in Oakland. They wouldn't. You can go on any argument about Devontae Adams and Car. They went to Fresno State. No. They would not be in a Raiders jersey if they were not in Las Vegas and had a brand-new Allegiant Stadium and a brand-new $500 million facility in Henderson.
0: Well, and it wasn't not even— Not be wearing it. And it wasn't money for those guys either. If it was money, they would have stayed where they are at because Devontae Adams knew he could have made the most in Green Bay, and Chandler Jones knows he could have made the most with Arizona. Exactly. So they took—initially, I mean, pretty much are taking pay cuts to come to a better city and a better destination— with a better environment. And, I mean, you look around the Aces franchise right now, it is a really awesome environment. Like, that that's the best way I can sum it up, and it's one that people want to be at. Like, it's not like a an Indiana fever where you're near the bottom of the league pretty much every year, and you, you get to the halfway point, and you just look at it, and you go, okay, how many more of these games do we got? Um, and, you,
1: well, and, that, and you wake up every morning, and you're like, I'm in Indiana.
0: Right, exactly. Like eh, I mean you have Indianapolis, which okay. It's
1: the same thing. It's like it's like let's this whole Seattle Las Vegas thing. Do you wanna wake up in Vegas or do you wanna wake up in Seattle? You wake up and it's it's foggy outside, it's raining yeah. for the you know, fifth time this week, it's Friday. So right. it's been raining all week. I mean, Seattle lost their team for a reason, so I can't wait till we get an NBA team and I can be relieved of this pain from right. the Celtics. But before we talk about Boston Real quick, yeah. little segment I thought we would do: rank the coaches in Las Vegas.
0: Can I can I steal UNLV coaches too?
1: Yeah, so I'm saying so, so we'll do okay. Knights, Raiders, Aces, UNLV football, UNLV men's and women's basketball. Okay, because like, I don't think a lot of people are not not to no no no. We, I would, we like the Aviators, but I don't think anyone in Vegas yeah, is no, like no, really no, no keeping up to date with the minor league. Baseball team.
0: So number one, I would go Becky Hammond. <coughs> I think that's pretty clear cut. She wins coach of the year, her first year in the WNBA as a head coach. Um, coaches the all-star team, you know, I mean, her 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 record and her resume this year kind of speak for itself. Right. Number two, and it's a close number two. I mean, so depending on how the season goes, she may move up to number one. Lindy LaRock. Lindy LaRock is one of those. It was an under-the-radar hire, that turned out to be an absolute home run for Desiree Reed-Francois, which is being very complimentary of her because I've had my things about Desiree that I have not appreciated, but this was one that she got right. She, she got a royal right, too. She kind of did get a royal. We're starting to see that, too. We're, that we're starting to
1: eat our words a little bit. I think, I think we're starting to—
0: But to, her, to, my, to our defense, she did not get T.J. Offleberger right. No. She got that horribly wrong. Yeah, she got that wrong. Um, so I would go Becky Hammond, Lindy LaRock— Marcus Arroyo at the moment, Bruce Cassidy, Kruger, McDaniels. Yeah, Kruger, Josh McDaniels. What Josh McDaniels did on Sunday was pretty detrimental to him. (laughs) Like that was – you can't have that happen. That's just unacceptable. I was thinking
1: me and Matt's list would be different, but it's quite frankly the exact same. Um, Bruce Cassidy and Arroyo are close because Bruce Cassidy has quite the resume, but he hasn't yet coached a game in Vegas, so I don't know. Um, But to explain Arroyo at three – Lindsay LaRocca, at two and Becky Hammond at one. Pretty self-explanatory. They've won some. Uh, I mean, Becky Hammond's won a championship. Lindsey LaRock has won two conference championships and has gotten the women's program to the NCAA tournament for the first time in twenty years. And she's starting to sell out games in the Cox Pavilion as well. Yeah, to the point where they may not, they may need to start playing the Thomas Mack next year.
0: They honestly should.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, you look at you look at Arroyo. And this is the first time in a while. This is the first time ever I'm looking at UNLV right now, and it sounds crazy, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more when we talk about UNLV football. They have a legitimate chance to win the Mount West this year.
0: Very possible.
1: They have a chance. I'm not saying they're going to. They have a solid chance. I'd put about 40% to win the Mount West this year. Do you look at their schedule? You look at their slate? The, the the only game, looking at the remainder of the year, where I'm like, they're going to lose that game probably is Notre Dame. Yeah. Fresno State is no longer... Fresno State's quarterback is done. He had that injury against against USC. UNLV can now beat Fresno State. San Diego State is terrible this year. UNLV can beat San Diego State. Utah State sucks. Um, like, their best team in the Mountain West they're going to have to face the remainder of the year is Air Force.
0: Yeah, Air Force is going to be tough.
1: Air, but Air Force is beatable. Like, Air Force isn't like this... They're, Wyoming, they just they lost to Wyoming. Just like, I know Wyoming's tough to play in because of the the altitude and everything, but still, like, if Air Force was... Air Force plays in the high altitude, too. So, like, that's not really an excuse for them. They play in Colorado Springs, which is, like, at 6,000 feet, too.
0: I mean, they're beatable, but UNLV's run defense may cost them that game. Yeah.
1: So, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them later, but I think Arroyo, um, from the first 14 games being an utter disaster in the last, what, four of the regular season, seven... In these in that last seven games, these coaches have been really promising. This is the most talented UNLV team we've had. Uh, this is the f- first UNLV team you can really justify making that argument. Like, with how bad the Mount West is this year, that maybe they can contend for a conference championship or maybe they can get to... ESPN is projecting them to finish with eight wins. That's crazy. So, like, yeah, that's for... <laughs> that might be historic, actually, for UNLV football. <laughs> yeah. So, some places, that gets you fired. At UNLV, I mean, you may you may get a statue. Very very possible. um, We'll see. Definitely rooting for them. But I think a Royals done a fantastic job in his turnaround. Someone who's not doing a fantastic job right now. um, Ime Doka. Oh, boy. Facing a year suspension, likely, nothing official yet at the time of this recording, a likely year suspension for having an intimate relationship with a female staffer on the Celtics. So he is now gonna, which was a um, consensual uh, relationship as well. That was a key word in uh, Shams' tweet there. Um, but he'll be facing a one-year suspension. And now there's rumors that he may step down. Um, there's, there's a whole. It's it's a complete disaster right now. Uh, Matt, I mean, do you, do you agree with the Celtics handling of this? That Emile should be suspended a season or? to the point where he's going to be asked to step down.
0: Absolutely not. If you're the Boston Celtics, you should be ashamed of yourself this morning. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. I mean, this is how you're treating the guy that got you to the NBA Finals. Remember Brad Stevens? Yeah, he never got you to the NBA Finals. He got you to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was always your ceiling. Ime came in year one and broke that ceiling. But sure, we're going to turn around and likely suspend this guy for a year because of in the keyword like Joey said was consensual. You would have a very valid argument if it was not consensual. Then then you could we can have the conversation of yeah, a year suspension probably warranted. Him possibly stepping down probably warranted. But the fact of the matter is that it was consensual changes the entire situation entirely. I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark at that point. The Celtics, first off, they should not have never leaked this story to start with. Somebody in the Celtic organization leaked this story where they had a beef with Ime, They knew it was going on, and they said, this is my chance to get back at them. So somebody anonymously probably called up ESPN, probably called up Shams, and said, hey, leave my name out of this. Let's leave it anonymous, but the X, Y, and Z is going on in the Celtic organization. This is a franchise that was just in the w, or excuse me, in the NBA Finals. They were just there last year, this past season, a place they had not been to in a decade. They, like I said, Emay came in and broke that ceiling that was always on the Celtics for much of the 2010s. As far as, well, they get to the Eastern Conference Final every year and seem to self implode. Like that was kind of the narrative with the Celtics, good but not great. And now all of a sudden. This is a uh, E-May's looking at a likely year, uh, one-year suspension and potentially having to resign from being the head coach. Like, if you're a Celtic fan, I don't know how you are not irate at your front office at this point for letting this happen. Like, this is a storied franchise that has a long list of winning tradition. And the handling of this situation right now from the Celtics standpoint makes them look like this is amateur hour and that they're brand new to the NBA. Like, I, I I don't know who's in charge of, you know, communications and all that or, you know, anything that gets put out there. Again, this could have very well just been leaked. Like, the Celtics may not have even realized this had gotten leaked. It could have very well been a simple phone call to one of the reporters from somebody within the organization that left, wanted to be left anonymous and said X, Y, and Z. Now, if you're the Celtics, I think you have to take a very deep look at the situation and make sure you have all the information at your hand because if all the information that's been put out is true and it's accurate, there's no way you can tell me with a straight face that this warrants a one-year suspension. It probably warrants some sort of suspension. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah. Make it a $25,000 fine and suspend him the first 10 games of the year and move on. Let's think of it this way. Deshaun Watson is getting less. He's not getting a full year of suspension for, um, what, north of 25 rape allegations in the NFL. And I get those are two separate leagues, but it's kind of the same principle that runs with each other.
1: The NBA, the Suns owner, was suspended a season because everyone got really pissed off about that rightfully so and now he's forced to sell the team but if that had not happened he was getting suspended a year and we're not going to say it on air but just go ahead and look if you don't know already what the son's owner did
0: none of which was consensual at all yeah nowhere no this is nowhere near consensual what the son's owner did and what he also said correct i mean both are very bad in their own right that's why the biggest difference in this case and that's. The reason why I think Emei is getting done wrong is because every report that's come out has included the word consensual. There has not been one report that I've seen that that said, oh, well, Emei was sexually harassing somebody on his staff or Emei raped somebody on his staff. None of that has come out. Every report has explicitly listed the word consensual, which changes the situation completely.
1: Yeah. There's no doubt that the relationship between the two whoever it may have been, um, which it's no one's business who it is. Like the people, right. yeah, are free. Who cares? And then people were saying that it was um, – I'm not going to say her name because no one bugs her, but one of the uh, a female staff around the Celtics, people were saying it was her, and then people had to come out and report that it wasn't her because she was getting bombarded on her Instagram account. Right. Um, and she has a husband and children, and she was getting bombarded on her account Instagram account about how – she was involved with this, and accounts like um, Lake Show Yo on Twitter, mm-hmm. even though it's already been reported that she had nothing to do with it, they're still continuing to post pictures of her saying, "Couldn't blame E-May or I can see why E-May did it now, and stuff like this." Um, so classic, classic Laker fans. Yeah, anyway, sure. they're not gonna make; they don't need to worry about this because they're not gonna, they're not gonna be anywhere near the playoffs anyway. So no. it's all good. But um, yeah, it, it was unprofessional. There's no doubt about that, uh, but like Matt said, the key word in this is consensual and both parties agreed to it. Um, and I, I, I'm thinking more along the lines of the of, of 20 to 25 game suspension. Like, there's been far worse done, not only within the Celtics organization, um, but in the league yeah. and in other sports. And the fact that, like Matt said, it, it, to the point, it isn't a different league, but Deshaun Watson is getting 11 games. And Robert, what is it? Robert Saver mm-hmm. um, was getting a uh, a year suspension. Right. For something that what he did was about a million times worse. Right. Um and you look at Ron Artest was a 70 game suspension. Mm-hmm. For the Malice and the Palace, that was a 70 game suspension. Right. Um, you look at Gilbert Arena's brought a girl into the locker room. That was a 50 game suspension.
0: Gabreanes also brought a
1: handgun into the locker room. <laughs> so, but like what, what what's the logic of this being based upon? Like was it like it, it couldn't like it, it's what he did was wrong, not only cuz he's married. Right. Obviously wrong, and again, you're supposed to keep a professional you're supposed to keep it professional in the workplace. Understand all that. Right. But a year suspension, no. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's not the Celtics place to step in also between him and Nia's marriage. That's not their job. Correct. To step in the place of and play the moderator there or whatever. That's not the Celtics job. Um, So it needs to be mainly, the focus needs to be on what happened in the Celtics building. And it was between him and a woman. Right. Which was a consensual relationship. Hey, we have a conduct here. We don't want uh, employees um, in, you know, having intimate relationships here. So you guys are both suspended 2025 20, games or 2025 20, games without pay or wh- whatever term they want to, you know, come up with. Right. But it's not the Celtics place to step in and, and play moderator and whatever between him and Nia's uh relationship. Cause that's behind that is outside of the building. That has nothing to do with the Celtics. So that's not their place to go in there and be like, well, oh, email what you did was wrong, which it was wrong, but they have nothing to do with that. So, yeah, I think it's stupid, and um, hopefully with how everyone's reacted to this, the Celtics are like, okay, yeah, maybe we need to dial back a bit. Um, so I, I, I the way I see it, you either suspend them 25 games or less or you suspend them the year, because if it's any longer than that, the assistant coach who takes over, he may have a different coaching. He may coach a little bit different. So if if, if they give Ime Odoka a 50-game suspension – I quite fr- quite frankly think that's worse because the Celtics are going to be so used to playing under Joe Mazzulla for 50 games. Emelo Doka is going to come back and half the season's already gone by. And he's got less than half the year to get it back to where he wants it to go and then they got to get in flow for the playoffs too. That's just not going to work. So, 25 games or the season, they need to decide, which it's pretty obvious which side I'm going to be on here, but um, yeah, it, it, it's it's stupid. So we'll see how it handles. But very an off season that started off very good for the Celtics is just plummeted downhill.
0: Now, do you think with all the with that off season, right, where there was a lot of chatter around Jalen Brown, some people thought he wasn't even going to be a Celtic next year. Um, now you have the Eme situation. Are you worried about the Celtics getting back to the NBA Finals this year?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's why. That's why I was so, and it it really, it doesn't have a lot to do with the situation, but it kind of plays in what I was saying. That's why when I wanted them to trade for Kevin Durant, there's no guarantee you're going to be back. Just because you made it the previous season doesn't mean you're going back to next year. Look at the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Oh, again, different sport, but they're 0-2. They just made the, they're 0-2. They lost to... The, pits, the Mitch Trubinsky-led Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, put some respect on Mitch. And okay. And they <laughs> lost to the Cooper Rush-led Dallas Cowboys with one with C.D. Lamb and Noah Brown.
0: How about Cooper Rush leading a final game-winning drive? I love yeah. that.
1: And Ezekiel Elliott, who's, yeah. you know, a little bit out of shape there. Just a bit. So, I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to be back. So every offseason, regardless of... You made the Eastern finals, you made the second round, you made the finals. If you didn't win it, you got even if you win it sometimes, you have to go back and you have to put your team in the best position to where you know that they can, they have the best shot at getting back. So that's kind of plays in what I was saying. You don't know what's gonna happen in the offseason. As far as the Celtics, Delinari tears his ACL. Yeah. Robert Williams is gonna have surgery, he's out four to six weeks right now. Ime Odoka. That derails up. your season a little bit in a very tough Eastern conference now. Definitely derails your season. Um, but again, we haven't seen him play a game yet. Maybe Joe missoula is a is a wizard that no one even knows about and Celtics win sixty-five games next year and Robert Williams comes back as healthy as can be. So season hasn't started yet. I'll wait to panic until October. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely very disappointing. And um the handling of the whole situation is a little bit ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely is. But um we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um hopefully we know a little bit more about I May um as far as the the suspension or punishment that he could be facing um from the Celtics again, like Joey said. Hopefully the Celtics do take a look at this situation pretty in depth, see all the reaction and are able to come up with a reasonable final conclusion. Yeah, but we've got
1: some UNLV, UNLV football, a little bit on the lighter side. Yes. Um, And then we got our three other college football games in addition with UNLV and Utah State this weekend. Rebels are 2-1. They are. They could be 3-0. Very well could have been. Should be 3-0 right now, to be quite frankly. Doug Brumfield is playing like a top 20 QB in the country. And Aiden Robbins... um, having a also a fantastic season, had the second-best overall performance in college football last week. So, Matt, how much stock are you putting in the Rebels right now?
0: I'm going all in. I think this team is legit. Um, admittedly, at the first game when I saw Naki being carted off, I was a little concerned because that is one of the heart and souls of the, the UNLV defense. And, I mean, they've paid a little bit of a price for it. I, like I said, their their run defense has been a little bit – to be desired there. I mean, North Texas, albeit they bloom, they bloom out by thirty-one. A lot of North Texas's points came off the run, where they would just line up, and it would look kind of similar to what Air Force does. They would run four plays. They would be the exact same play to the exact same player in the exact same direction, where it would be a you know running back handoff to the left side, and they would pick up six, seven, eight yards of carry and. They did it, like I said, they did it four or five times in a row, which was a little frustrating. It's like, hello, if you're the defensive coordinator, after about the third time, don't you pick up on what they're doing? But outside of that, this is a UNLV secondary that has been making leaps forward compared to where they've been in years past, where they have been a laughingstock. This is a secondary that is starting to gain traction. This is an offense that looks very fluid once all the pieces are moving right. When you have Doug Brumfield making good decisions, that's the one thing that I worry about Doug is he has to be a little bit more... A little careless when he runs the ball sometimes. I mean, he had a play against North Texas that I thought was going to knock him out of the game. When he got upended right at the goal line, I thought this is probably it for Doug. Yeah, And so when he runs the ball, he's got to be a little bit smarter. Slide if you have to. The rules are designed for the quarterback. So if you slide and you're still getting hit... Well, okay, you're gonna you it you one you may get a concussion. That's not I'm not ruling that out, but more likely you're going to help your team by a the, the opposing team's going to get a targeting penalty, because, and that player's going to get ejected too be, because it's a hit on the quarterback. They're likely ejected, and you're getting a 15 yard you're getting 15 yards added on to the end of the play. Um. So, yeah, I mean, the the thing, especially if Doug wants to play in the NFL, you have to learn how to slide on the run as a quarterback and just know when you, you know, can't make any more forward progress and just take the safer route. But, I mean, Doug Brumfield has passed the ball really well. He's gotten guys like Kyle Williams involved um, that has been a pretty big part of the receiving core. Ricky White. Ricky White has been pretty impressive and – the, the big question on offense, I felt like, was, how are you going to replace the Chuck Wagon? Aiden Robbins is not that bad of a replacement, I would say, being the Mountain West player of the year this past week, or player of the week this past week. I mean, he, he may not be quite as fast as uh, Charles Williams. He's a little bit of a bigger, more power back than Charles was, but it's not a bad replacement. I mean, considering that at the beginning of the year, I probably would have told you it's Probably going to be Chad Magyar as that next running back up. But to a Royals credit, he found a diamond in the rough with Aiden Robbins. And this is an offense that has put up north of 50 points twice this year already in three games. I mean, I don't know what more you want. Also put that in perspective.
1: You know, he's played three games. Two of those games, a Mountain West player of the week came from them. Correct. Doug Brownfield and now Aiden Robbins. So I'm sold on them, too. Um, I'm really impressed with this outing. And even to the, give the defense a little bit of credit, they haven't allowed more than 27 points the entire season. And their goal line defense yes. is phenomenal. Yeah, Great job. They turned North Texas on downs. They turned them over on downs, what, two or three times? On, on right, the inside, right inside the five-yard line. Yeah. Um, so they've done it. They, they they get a little tired, it looks like, but once they get down to that five-yard line – Uh, They really step it up, so you got to give them credit there. Um, But, yeah, I'm sold on this team. They they beat a a pretty decent North Texas team. Um, They hung around with Cal, and this week will be another test for them. You're going to give them the uh, defending Mountain West champs. Very tough road game in Logan, Utah. There's nothing else to do in Logan, Utah besides go watch Aggie games. So I'm sure there will be a decent crowd there uh, up in the mountains a little bit, so the altitude will be a little tough, I'm sure. But I like the Rebels here.
0: I do too. I like them to start five and one this year. It's yeah, a very, it's New a-
1: Mexico. New Mexico tricky though. New mm, Mexico, it's a home game. It is a home game, but that game will be a little more low scoring than people think. New Mexico is great defensively right now. New Mexico is a very good defensive football team. Um, they're probably the best defensive team in the Mount West, to be quite honest with you. Offensively, they're a nightmare. Um, but that may be like a twenty-one to ten game. Rebels win still, but. Mexico will hang around because of their defense.
0: Yeah. So you you think five and one as well? Yeah. Five and one. Five and one.
1: Utah because it's Utah, Utah, New Mexico, st- San Jose. Yeah. yeah.
0: Utah State, New Mexico, San Jose State. Um, Utah State, by the way, is not where they were last year. They are. I mean, the only tough part about that game is it's on the road. Yeah. It's not the opponent. It's the environment at that point. Then they enter that tough stretch we all look at. What do you think their record is after Air Force, Notre Dame, San Diego State, and Fresno State?
1: i want to get real crazy and say 3-1. and one. They go 3-1 and one in that Whoa. stretch. But I'm going to go 2-2. Two and two. Okay. I think they dropped Air Force and Notre Dame. They beat Fresno and San Diego.
0: Notre Dame could be closer than we think. I mean, Marshall went into Notre Dame and beat them outright.
1: Cal this week. Cal almost beat Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, and we saw how close UNLV played Cal on I'm, the road. I'm going to go
1: that, – that game will be – I always said UNLV is going to play Notre Dame close – Cause no, that's just Notre Dame really like, like they hardly blow, they blow teams out, but not to the extent, like what Alabama did to Utah state. You know what I mean? So I'll go like
0: 20 to 31, probably Notre Dame wins. So losses to air force and Notre Dame, right? Yep. That means UNLV would finish the year on a four game win streak. They would beat San Diego state on the road. They would beat Fresno at home. They would beat Hawaii on the road, and they would beat UNR at home. They're definitely beating Hawaii. <laughs> oh, Hawaii. I <laughs> mean, by, we could probably beat Hawaii at this point.
1: Worst case scenario, the way I see it right now. That's nine and three. The worst case scenario for UNLV football is four and eight. That's Which isn't bad.
0: Wow. If they go four and eight, especially if they win this weekend, and they go four and eight, oh boy.
1: Well, if they win this weekend, then it's five and seven. Because I'm like, They'll beat New Mexico, and they will beat, they will beat Hawaii. Those are two games that I, I can confidently say they are not going to lose. Those games.
0: I still think if you go four and eight after starting two and one, that's not good. I mean, yeah. that's a bad look. But compared to last year, I think I think we would have been
1: begging for four and eight uh, last year. They, so I hey, think they,
0: they've tied the win total from last year. Yeah.
1: So the way I see it, they will not. I don't think they'll go four and eight. But I'm saying worst, absolute worst case scenario this team goes 4 and 8 which is still an improvement from last season and overall not that terrible but if they beat utah state this weekend then it's then it's 5 and 7 cuz those are the two games I can confidently say they will win for
0: sure 100% yeah i mean i see at least 7 wins here i see them beating utah state this weekend i see them beating new mexico i see them beating san jose i see them beating hawaii and i see them beating unr and really you, I mean, they might also beat San Diego State and possibly Fresno. I mean, Fresno is going to be a tough game, but it's a home game, which I think gives them a little bit of an advantage, especially at that point in the year where, let's say they steal San Diego State on the road. You're looking at if all that falls into where I think that does, 5-1, and one, that's already six wins going into the Fresno game. People will know that this team is bull eligible. That's going to start selling tickets.
1: You know who's gonna be at that Fresno game? Hmm. Come on, what two people are gonna be at that Fresno game? What two Raiders players went to Fresno State? Devonte Adams
0: and Derek Carr. <laughs> yes,
1: Devonte Adams, and Derek Carr will be there. They
0: better be wearing UNLV gear. They will not. I. They
1: remember. Remember, they asked Derek Carr. He got all weird about it. They're like, "Oh, would you support?" He's like, "I, I, I went to. I'm. I'm a, I'm a Bulldog. I went to Fresno State. I can't. I can't support UNLV. I just can't." I'm like. UNLV is playing in your building, Derek. Yeah. It's a little... There's that like there's a rivalry between Fresno State and UNLV. I could see if they said San Jose or right. maybe Boise, but like, really? But yeah. There's no rivalry. Like, that. it was your first year in the Mountain West when you were playing in
0: uh, Fresno State. Yeah. Hey, Derek, guess what? UNLV has more wins than you right now. <laughs> they Just have more saying.
1: wins in your building right now. They're also 2-0 at Allegiant. Just saying.
0: This season. Yeah.
1: And the best... Step further, the best quarterback... In Allegiant Stadium is not in a Raiders uniform right now. He's in Definitely scarlet not. and gray. Yep. Anyway, we got three other games this week. Yes. Me and Matt are rolling with the Rebels yep. three and one, which will be their first three and one start since two thousand eight.
0: Sky's gonna be the limit for this team.
1: Sky's gonna be the limit. Could be bowling. Could be bowling. We yeah. might be going to Hawaii for the what? The Hawaii bowl. Oh
0: boy. I hope I hope that the athletic department offers fans a reasonable travel package because Man, Hawaii for Christmas, Christmas Eve. I thought, I thought, I mean, I was looking at it yesterday. I was like, <laughs> man, that would be fun.
1: Matt was fiending Anyway, we got Florida and Tennessee. 20th ranked Florida is playing the 11th ranked Tennessee. Um, Florida's two and one. Tennessee three and zero. Oh. Matt, we like.
0: I want to say Florida. I really do. This game is in Tennessee. Yes. I'm gonna go with the home team. I think Tennessee wins this game by a field goal. I think Florida puts up one heck of a fight. I think Florida to their—I mean, Florida's kind of been a little inconsistent. They did show out really well against Utah, but I think had a little bit of a slippage um, I think in the next week or maybe the following week. I just think Tennessee's been a little bit more consistent. Florida does hang around in this game, though, and it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if they won this game outright— I'm gonna go. Tennessee wins by a field goal at home.
1: Gators play them close, but this is the home game for Tennessee, one yeah. of the toughest places to play. Four and zero for the for Tennessee, and uh, yeah, it's a close game. I think it's within ten points for sure. Mm-hmm. Next game we got Arkansas on the road to Texas A and M, sixteenth ranked Arkansas taking on twenty third ranked
0: Aggies. <laughs> Give me Arkansas! Wow. Arkansas might come in and surprise the holy hell out of Texas A&M. This is the same Texas A&M team, by the way, that lost at home to Appalachian State. People want to hype up Texas A&M. Appalachian State's good, though. I mean, they they they're they're famous for and upsetting Texas, teams. Correct. And Texas A&M is overrated vastly. People came into the season going, "Oh, Texas A&M dumped all this money into their facilities. They are one of the biggest uh, schools for the NIL. Um, this and that. Uh, that's great." you're still not that great though. Like you're still very overrated. And I get that Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship and he's beaten Nick Saban. whoop de doo You're not beating Nick Saban this year, by the way, because you're going to Nick Saban's place. So that you can just mark another L down there for Texas A&M. And quite frankly, Arkansas is better than you think. They will come into your building and beat you. I think, again, Appalachian State's good. Arkansas State, I think, is better than Appalachian State, and if App State can go into Texas A&M and win outright and make Texas A&M look like a joke, I don't see why Arkansas can't do the same. I'm gonna go with the bull or the Razorbacks. Excuse me. I'm gonna go with the Aggies.
1: Um, I think Texas A&M is still a very good team, and I think that Appalachian State loss kind of humbled a little, humbled them a little bit. Um, I think they beat Arkansas. Arkansas is also a very good team, and I'm sure their athletic director is probably has the the best job security in the country right now. Um, basketball program going to go in this season, top five national championship contenders, and football program is ranked 16th right now. And um, a lot of people are, are rolling with the Razorbacks this week. And they're very capable of winning this game, but I'm going to go with the Aggies. One game, we'll throw this game in there. It's not on national TV, which I'm outraged about. USC and Oregon State, both mm-hmm. 3-0, in Corvallis, give me an upset. I'm gonna go with the beavers. The beavers shock the West Coast here and pull off an upset. Matt is giving me the death of or the the stare of death right now um but I think that's going to be my big upset this week. Oregon State beats USC
0: I'm sure as will not taking Oregon State that's for sure um they got a th- they're giving them a 30 percent chance of the win. The only way Oregon State's going to beat USC is they have to slow them down on offense. They have to slow USC down. Um, At least their offense, they have to. Because if you look at USC's games this year, nobody has been able to slow down their offensive attack.
1: USC's only favored by six, too. Mm,
0: I don't know about that. I mean, it's probably right. Like I could see Oregon State sticking around. But I think the if you if Oregon State's defense cannot slow down USC's offense, they're going to be asking a ton out of that Oregon State offense to keep pace because for Stanford and that was a road game for USC. Stanford could not keep pace. Rice sure as hell couldn't keep pace, and Fresno last week could not keep pace with USC's offense. Like it was one of those that Fresno would score, but five plays later USC would be in the end zone. So. I mean, this is kind of what we thought would happen with Lincoln Riley, is that he would come in and have a very explosive offense. is going to probably win a lot of games this year just by out, outscoring opponents. Like, their defense may fall behind a little bit, but they, I mean, when you're scoring north of 50 almost every game as a team, you can kind of let your defense fall behind because you know the other team's probably not keeping pace with you.
1: Right. Last game. Old Mountain West fans are going to love this. Old Mountain West rivalry right here. The Wyoming Cowboys go to Provo, Utah, take on the BYU Cougars this week. Um, I'm gonna roll with BYU. Um, but I love this matchup. I wish BYU was still in the Mountain West. I really do wish or I really do miss the old Mountain West conference with Utah, BYU, TCU, and all that. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna roll with the Cougars this week. Should not have too much trouble with Wyoming. Wyoming is a pretty good defensive football team. I think Wyoming will hang around a little bit in the first half. It'll be like 24-10 at halftime probably. BYU pulls away 48-17,
0: something along those lines. Yeah, I'll go BYU here. I think it all kind of aligns for BYU to win. Wyoming just came off of a, you know, emotional high upset win of over Air Force. BYU just came off of a pretty ugly loss to Oregon. Um, bounce back week for BYU at home. I'll go with BYU. Might be making a terrible decision again this week. I know I picked BYU last week and that didn't work out very well, but
1: Well, they're playing Wyoming this week, so yeah, that's the little
0: more of a reasonable opponent and, and it's they're at home. home. Yeah. yeah. I think this is the bounce back week for BYU. By the way, we're both 12 and 4 on college football up to this point this year.
1: About to be 16 and 4. I'm about to be 16-4. You'll be 15 and
0: five. We'll see about that. No, because well, no, we have two. We have two that we're different on.
1: So you'll be. 14-6. and six. Okay.
0: Cool. We'll see. We'll, we'll revisit that next week for sure. On Saturday's um, episode of Back and Forth, though, we will have a comp- pretty much a complete NFL episode for you guys. Again, like we've done the first two weeks, we'll run through our picks for the NFL slate for a Saturday episode of Back and Forth that will include all 15 games, I believe. Um, by the way, Thursday Night Football tonight, before we get out of here, who do you like and why?
1: Well, the Browns. Nick Chubb is on my fantasy team. That's the reason why. Give the ball to Nick Chubb. No one else.
0: Okay, Kobe percent. We'll have five pass attempts, and that's it.
1: That's fine. I'm fine. That's fine with me. <laughs> that is fine with me.
0: Um, every bone in my body wants to take Pittsburgh and feel because and, this feels like a typical Mike Tomlin spot. Prime time on the road. Short week.
1: That's why too, because it's a short week. So like, yeah, you really gotta throw out. For so these short-week games, you really have to throw out records and all that because it's just, it's just who had the best recovery, pretty much.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I basically have two different answers for this. Obviously, I want Pittsburgh to win. The more realistic choice would be Cleveland, though. Cleveland is at home. They, this is the second straight home game for them, so they didn't have to travel this week, making recovery a little bit easier. And Pittsburgh just came off of a close loss at home to New England. I think that Cleveland probably wins this game by a field goal. But I will be more than okay with being wrong on this pick if Pittsburgh wins. I want to say one more thing before we get off. Yeah.
1: NFL should change Thursday night football to Friday night football. I'm here for it. Give them an extra day and that people get to watch football going into the weekend. NFL
0: you know, Friday, college Saturday, NFL. I'm, I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, give them Friday night football. Make it Friday night football because – A lot of injuries happen from these Thursday games, so give them an extra day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too mad at it at all. Um, But like we said, we'll have the rest of the 15 games, our picks for you guys, on Saturday's episode of Back and Forth for week three of the NFL season. I've been your host at Matt, a.k.a. Matt Raftery. Joined alongside, as always, by my co-host Joey G. Make sure you're following Back and Forth on Twitter at BackForthPod. Instagram is at BackForthPodcast. And of course, while you're there, make sure you follow the official home for Back and Forth, that being the Talk That Talk media company, their Twitter at TTT Media Company. The rest of their socials are spelled out at Talk That Talk Media Company. We will talk to you guys on Saturday.